Hello and welcome to episode 46 of Command Space on 5x5. I am your host, Mike Hurley, and I am joined today by Mr. David Smith, friend of 5x5. Mr. David Smith, how are you doing, sir? I'm doing well, thank you. So you are known in the 5x5 community as underscore David Smith. Yes. That is that is your moniker, your, your chat room moniker. Yep, and uh, I guess my, my moniker all over the place. It just uh, Having a name like David Smith is a bit too common, so... Uh. <laughs> Throw the underscore in and make it part of your identity. There you go. So, Mr. David Smith, why don't you tell people what you like to be known for? Um, sure. So, uh, I'm a independent iOS and Mac app developer. Mostly, that's how most people know what I do. I make apps. Um, you know, on my own, I'm a self sort of self employed one person business. I uh, do a podcast called Developing Perspective, and um, otherwise, just a you know man around the internet. So, how you, you know you mentioned that you. Are, are a developer. Um, how did you find your way into this? Like, what is your background? Have you been doing this sort of stuff for a while? Um, the applications that you you currently develop that we're going to talk about in a bit are they enough to sustain you for a full time income? Is this is this your how you make your living? Yep, yeah, it's been my, it's been the way I made my living for probably about f- from the from the from app specifically since about three and a half years ago or so. I basically I got in the app store uh, right when it, just after when it launched. Um, it's been sort of just been constantly making apps and you know putting out new things and keep going until it's something you know eventually it's stuck enough to keep doing it as a full time thing. And before that, I was doing uh, you know various consultings and I was a web developer back in the day. And before that, I was actually a Palm OS um, developer. My first my first job ever was making Palm apps for the Palm Three. So I've, I guess I was a mobile developer before it was cool to be a mobile developer. <laughs> You were a mobile developer, and people were like, "What? <laughs> yep. Why? Are you do- what sort of applications were you developing for those devices?" That was my my first app ever. Was an app to help railroad inspectors um, find defects on tracks, um, and there was like they download a list of defects and you know strap this giant GPS thing onto the back of their Palm Three and go out in the field and it will help them locate them. That was the first app I ever wrote, and that was back in 2000. So real broad market stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Huge yeah. market share you were going for, I assume, with that application. Yeah, exactly. Was- but it, you know, it was, that, was, that was my first job, and it worked well. And it's kind of interesting to then, you know, it was then five or six, or quite a few years later, then all of a sudden, you know, the iPhone came out and the iPhone SDK and all that just appeared on the scene. And it was kind of nice in some ways because I'd already had a lot of experience developing for smaller screens and smaller devices with you know a lot more constraints and so while the languages and the, that kind of thing the platform didn't transfer that kind of experience did so uh, made it a little bit easier when I then you know dove into making apps full time so did you have like a, a light bulb moment with iOS where you like this this is it this is what I'm going to do like I'm going to go down this path I'm going to continue making the stuff that I want to make um, I don't know if it's necessarily a light bulb moment. I mean, I think I always, as soon as I heard, or I think it was in March of '08, something like that, when the you know when the Apple announced that they're going to make an SDK for the iPhone, originally immediately I was like, "Yep, that's something I want to try to do." That seems like a an, an interesting. And at the time, I didn't actually have an iPhone. It it that it was just it was just something that I saw and I knew that I, th- I knew it was some of those things that you kind of knew was going to be big, and so the goal was to just try and. You know, be in from day one and have a lot of experience with it, and if nothing else, just through time, be able to to do well. Just you know, by keep adding it and being one of the you know, being one of the hopefully the few people who were in, you know sort of been doing it the whole time, and just sort of been keep kept at it since. And it took a while for it to be able to replace my full time income, but once I hit that point, then it sort of accelerates it because then I can devote all my time and energy into exactly. making you know my own apps and products and things. When you mentioned you didn't have an iPhone like originally, I was like, "Oh, that that's kind of strange." But then I remembered how expensive they were. Exactly, they were like what, like five, six hundred dollars. Yep, something and like then, that. And then a contract. It was like something insane because then they took the price down, didn't they? Yep, I think the first phone I got was the 3GS. Or sorry, the 3G, and that was I think at that point they dropped it down to two hundred dollars, and it was much more, um, you know, it was much more palatable and reasonable and justifiable, I guess. But yeah, I mean, the first app I ever submitted to the store, I developed entirely on just in the simulator, and then I installed it once on a friend of mine's iPhone to make sure it worked, and then submitted it. And that was my experience. But once it became clear that it was, I would, you know, it's a viable way to to make a living, then I just sort of kept at it from there. 
In the UK, the the original iPhone it launched um, about six months after um, after the US, just because of like stock stuff. They did the same with the iPad as well. Sure. And um, I remember on the first day, um, and I was I was working um, in, in that day, but I work in a in a small mall which had a shop called it has a shop called the Carphone Warehouse, which is sure. one of one of the worst branding decisions ever made. Um, a slight aside, the Carphone Warehouse. Obviously, you can imagine when they were set up, they tried to change their name to Camera Phone Warehouse. Okay. Which, even in hindsight, was still a terrible name because we don't call them camera phones anymore. But anyway, surely it would be Mobile Phone Warehouse. That's yeah, surely what they should have gone for. But they went. They just took it back to Carphone because it's just a, a name that people know. So um, I actually had my younger brother who was in school at the time. He left school at three o'clock and he went and queued up outside the the Carphone Warehouse store for me, and I took the place from okay. him. It was very kind of him. And uh, you could you could only pay um, in, by card. That was like the the method of payment uh, because you would sign out for a contract. And I think there were like five hundred pounds, which is at the time was about a thousand dollars. Okay. Um, and the, the it was only on one network here, same as you guys had it. So it was on O2, and I was like one of the first four or five people in the shop. So it was at. Um, Two minutes past six, so it's six oh two, like the name of the network, right? That sure. was their little branding thing. Was the time that they went on sale because it had this very strict time that they were going on sale. All of the systems crashed, <laughs> and they couldn't get onto their credit check system to sign up the contract. So yeah. I was in the store for about an hour and fifteen minutes just to do the credit check, but then their payment processing went down. So they were then allowing people to pay by cash. So I had to run out to an ATM and do multiple transactions to get the, enough cash out to pay for it. And then, like for the next two or three launches, it was the same. Like the, all the systems would go down. But they, so now you just so now when you go to buy a phone, you just you know go in with a briefcase full of money just to yep. make sure that you can. You can walk out the door with one. Just throw it down. Just big bags of coins. Just yeah. throw them on the desk. But it's got better now because you know they, they can't allow. They they just have to have the redundancy in place because you can't have your systems go down at a set time every year. It's a it's a bit ridiculous. Yeah. It also helps that in the UK, like there are like five major mobile operators, and they all have the iPhone now, so it sure. it more evenly distributes the load. That's a total yeah. aside. I don't, oh, even, sure. I don't even know why I wanted to tell that story, but people have it now. That's that's some that's what happened on the UK iPhone launch in two thousand and seven or whatever it was for us. Sure. So let's so you know we've I think we've established that you are you are an iOS developer now. I mean, did you develop for any other platforms? Are you solely iOS? Um, I do a little bit on the Mac, and I I have some apps on. Uh, Android and one app on Windows Phone. But those are more just sort of test balloon, like little things that I've tried and to explore. But uh, I mean, I make probably you know ninety nine and a half percent of my income on iOS, and that's 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 my focus, and that's where I uh, I would say I'm probably best at. So, what do you have on Android? Uh, it's my main audio. I have an audiobooks app, yeah. um, which lets you, and that that I've did a port of the my audiobooks app to Android um, a couple of years ago. And put it out there, and it's, it it does all right. But in comparison to you know to, to what I can do in the reception you get on iOS, it's just sort of uh, apples and oranges. And so it just doesn't make any sense to to put a lot of energy into it. And so it's just kind of mostly just sort of sits there. I do periodic you know, like compatibility updates, but I don't really think about it too much. Do you think in the future, like you might want to look at that a bit more, or like maybe? We'd talk about free Feed Wrangler, but maybe something for, like for Feed Wrangler or something like that, which is a more ubiquitous service. Sure, uh, I think about it a little bit. The thing that I struggle with, and this is just comes from I'm a you know an independent developer and just like essentially a one man shop. I have a couple of people who help me with various things, but for the most part, I'm the only you know programmer building these things, and so it's very difficult for me to have sort of either the time and expertise to to cover a lot of platforms, and so. Generally speaking, I'll, I'll, my gut says unless something dramatic changes in the market, where it's like that's where I have to go, and it's like I, I know how to build Android apps. It's just not at the same level that I can do iOS. And so, if something dramatically changed, sure, you know, it's like I'm I'm open to what I enjoy doing is making good apps, not necessarily like I'm not a zealot for the platform. The platform just happens to be the place that I can really make the make the best apps and do it in the most sustainable way right now. Um, but for something like Feed Wrangler. 
mostly I've, I have been contacted by a couple of Android developers, and it looks like there'll be, you know, like other people are going to build third party clients, so, which, which makes me happy, so I don't have to. Um, and so I think that's probably the approach I'll end up be just sort of taking there. But, you know, who knows? I mean, the industry is only a couple of years, you know, four, four or five years old. So, you know, who knows what's going to happen in another four or five years? Let's talk about Feed Wrangler. Um, for anybody that isn't aware of the, of the service, can you give a very sort of brief overview as to what Feed Wrangler is? Sure. So, I mean, at, at its core, Feed Wrangler is just a platform that I built to aggregate and manage RSS feeds. So, you know, for websites that publish, you know, publish articles, often they'll have an RSS feed, which is just a list of the articles and the content that they're that they're publishing. If you're listening to this, you know, podcasts are distributed over RSS as well. Um, and a couple of actually, I think it was probably about six, seven months ago, I you started hearing more and more rumblings about Google Reader killing their platform, you know, which was a big sort of monolithic RSS platform that everyone was using and everyone was um, you know, sort of all the apps integrated with and everything. And it was something that once I started hearing that and I was like, you know, maybe I should tr- try my hand at building my own. And at this point, Google had no, hadn't announced any plans or done anything about you know, their plans for RSS. And so I just kind of went off and that was my side project for a couple of months. And then out of, so sort of out of nowhere, essentially Google announces, hey, Google Reader's done, you know, ending July 1st is its last day, um, you know, I guess sorry. And from there, I just kind of accelerated the process of developing and developing it out and building it, and you know, launched it. I think a little over a month ago, um, and it's just sort of it's a platform. It's got you know, for it takes all you takes all your RSS feeds, organizes them, lets you manage them, and has you know, clients for them that are that I that I've built as well as an API to let other people uh, build clients for it. So when Google announced um, a month or a month and a bit ago, I actually know the date. Because um, it's like March something, because they they ruined my announcement. Um, basically, about that was the day that we announced that we were going to be joining Five by Five. That's right. Yeah. And <laughs> so people were like, "Oh!" And then people were starting to get really excited about it. You know, I was obviously. And sure. then the internet was then taken over by the fact that Google Reader was getting shut down. Yeah, I mean, because I mean, just it was such a it, it was it was one of those weird things that it wasn't a surprise, but it was kind of a, a dramatic thing when all of a sudden, like it's the day you knew it was going to come eventually, but all of a sudden it's like, yep, that's the day, July 1st, it's over. Um, and so it's like everyone's sort of scrambling to work out what they're going to do. I think it was one of those things, like, I think it's the same with FeedBurner as well. Like We know it's going to go away, but we kind of yeah. want to believe that they won't do it to us. Well, and even just the the inertia of changing something like that. Like, yeah. I mean, FeedBurner is a great example. However, most people who have, have a website know at some point it's going to die or it's going to, Stop working, or who knows what. But you know, the effort and time and energy it takes to change is hard to overcome. When and so you know, you'll just kind of keep riding along with whatever whatever you have as long as it works. And so, you know, it's it's a hard thing to overcome that inertia. I think. So when they did um, when they did announce it, like was it all systems go? Like you're like, oh, I've got to rush. You know, I've got to get sure make sure this thing's done as soon as possible. But basically, yeah. I mean, at, at that point, I had started using it my as my as my primary per like my, my personal RSS reader, so it it was working and it was kind of in place. But um, at that point, it was like, okay, well, I was kind of hoping to launch it maybe late this summer, you know, maybe um, sort of August timeline. And so it's all of a sudden it's like dropped everything, you know, dropped all the other projects I was working on, all those kinds of things, and just focused on it, you know, sort of getting the apps done, um, getting the you know all of the backend stuff done, and just kind of focus on getting it out because you know it, it's like launching July second would be. Kind of pointless at this point um, for an RSS, you know, an RSS system because I think a lot of people are just gonna, you know, pick pick whichever one they want to go to. They'll, you know, create an account there, migrate over, you know, import their Google Reader stuff into that, and then you know, that, that's where they'll be. And so if you show up late to the party, it's not really going to be a party. Yeah, you get, you're just going to be left outside in the cold. Yeah. So you so you really considered it very important to make sure that you at least had something ready to go and out there before the shutdown. Yeah, and and I think especially too, just the nature of something like an RSS re- sort of platform is that there is the the, the basic concept is very simple. Like the ba- what you're doing is is pretty straightforward to build. Technically, the hard part is all of the details and all the things that you won't really know about until you are processing, you know, tens or hundreds of thousands of feeds, and you see all the weird things that people do and all the weird bugs. And so, sort of, my goal was that in order, if if I was ever going to be 
you know, sort of a full a full fledged hundred percent replacement for Google Reader by July first. I had to launch early enough to really get that experience to be able to you know start knocking out all the bugs and all the little issues, so that you know the the transition is pretty seamless for people. So Feed Wrangler isn't free. No, um, users pay nineteen dollars a year. Yep. Why? Well, uh, well, I mean, sort of the why it's not free part is I'm not venture backed and I enjoy eating and living under a, a, a nice roof. So I have to make my money somehow. Uh, I went for this, a subscription price for this because the nature of a service like this, you the, all the costs are ongoing. For for a lot of my apps, the the, the sort of the cost was building it and then I'm you know, sort of selling it and so I can sell sell it with a one time fee. For something like this, you know, I need to you know, it, all my server costs, all my infrastructure costs are are ongoing and so a subscription makes sense. And then, I mean, I just I did uh, yearly pricing because that makes it a lot easier for me on a support side. Because only once a year I have to deal with you know expired credit cards or people changing their payment methods and all that kind of stuff. Um, and nineteen dollars is just kind of the sweet spot, I think, in terms of um, it you know covers my costs, makes me a reasonable living, and then um, is hopefully low enough at that. A lot of people can think of it as just like you know, it's 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 a it's a an ob, it's a, it's a no brainer kind of amount where it's hopefully not quite as like if I'd charged you know ninety nine dollars a year, it becomes a bit like hmm, let me think about this, let me really kind of go on it. Hopefully, it's just like okay, yeah, that makes sense. You know, yeah. it's, it's I think it's a dollar dollar fifty dollar sixty a month or something like that if you if you work it out. So hopefully, it's just a, it, it makes sense for people who want to you know who want who want a good stable sustainable place for them to you know keep track of their RSS feeds. For me personally, um, an amount of, of this, you know, like $19, like under 20, 25 bucks a year, like that's preferable, like to have that payment yearly rather than uh, monthly, where it's, you know, it's good for you, as you say, because of the support stuff. Um, and you'll probably have a big chunk of your user base around the very similar time you know, yes. of the year, which is a, a, a quite a good thing, I think. Um for, for, as a as a user, it's good because it's just that one payment once a year. Like it's, I feel like it's easier to make that payment. If that makes yeah. sense, you know, rather than having to, you know, oh, this is coming out. I'm getting an email every month from PayPal or, or whatever, you know. Exactly, and it's kind of it reminds me a little bit of sort of there's like the I guess almost like the economics or the psychology of that where it's like anytime you anytime you have to pay money for something it it hurts a little bit like not not physically obviously but it's just kind of it's like oh you know there's there's always that kind of feeling and I'd rather just have you. You know, it's like if I'm going to take your money, I'd rather just take it once, and then it's like you're it's it's you know, it's, it's it's happy and free essentially for the rest of the year. Which um, so just kind of rather than kind of every every month just being like, hey, guess what? I just took two dollars from you. Guess what? I just took two dollars from you. It's like it, it kind of it's it's better to just do it all at once, and then um, I think it's better for everybody. So, what was the reception to to charging? Um, oh, generally generally pretty good. I can imagine that the the sort of market that you would be catering to is really, I guess, the market that's like we believe we should pay. Yes, and it was the and right honestly, time as well because we'd all just been screwed. I guess. Yes. Yeah, I mean, I got heard from tons and tons of users that they when, when right when I launched that they they were glad I was you know sort of charging. They were glad that I was charging a reasonable amount both for them and for me because what they didn't want to do. It's like they wanted to switch once. They wanted to go to a platform that they knew would have a viable business plan, a viable future, and could sustain itself in the future. Because they had just, you know, sort of went for the free option. It worked out pretty well. You know, Google had Google Reader running for years and years. But then, I sort of, you know, one day they wake up and it's like, oh, you know, a couple months later, in a couple months, I'm going to turn it off. And so I think a lot of people are kind of timid about. And there's a you know, variety of free services that are springing up or have sprung up. Um, that I think something certainly will attract a certain kind of user, but I think the people who come to something like Feed Wrangler are coming to it because they want to pay for it, because they want to sustain it, and they want to be able to rely on it going forward, rather than kind of being this kind of amorphous. Like you know, if, you're, if, if it's a free company who's providing the service for, who, or a free service, you know, how are they going to keep it going? Unless either they're going to be having to you know, inject ads or all kinds of strange things into it, or at some point it'll become chart paid, and then. Who knows what that will be, and so I think a lot of people just like this simplicity and the straightforwardness of, "Yep, I'll pay for a service. I use it. That makes sense." So I know you're quite. The service is quite young. Um, yes. But do you currently have a sufficient user base to support development? Like yes, you do. I mean, it might. I'm sure it won't be as many users as you will have, and I'm sure it's not enough um, to buy a BMW. 
Sure. But, <laughs> but uh, you know, I, I would like to think that for you to continue making the service great, you need a level, don't you, I guess? Yeah. And I mean, I hit, I mean, it was pretty on like the, the first couple days, I think I, I was delighted, especially because the nice thing is because it's a yearly based thing, I have some expectation of recurring revenue. Um, and so I can kind of look at it and be like, I think in the first two or three days, I hit my covering all my um, basic, like bare minimum, absolute, co- like physical costs. And then from there, it's been able to grow into a point that it's like, this can be you know, a substantial part of my income that can support and justify the time and energy it'll take to, to keep it going and to develop it forward. One of the things that you, you point out on the site, and there's a, a quote that I'm going to read from your site that I like quite a lot. Um, is that you point out that the apps are free and you say uh, Feed Wrangler is funded by ongoing subscriptions so the Feed Wrangler apps will always be provided as a free add-on. No need to buy the sync service and the apps you need to use it. I kind of like that. Like I've, I think that it's it's definitely a, a, a good thing, right, that you're offering the free applications. Sure, and I mean, I think for the way I see it is my my goal, and the way I actually, this is something that I love about changing from um, I guess uh, an ongo- having an ongoing relationship with customers rather than with most of my apps, where you just you know you'd buy the app and I've got once I've got that ninety nine cents, that two dollars, whatever it is from you, that's all I can ever get. And so I it has creates this weird disincentive for me to spend more and more time making you more and more happy because I don't have a huge upside you know sort of financially from that. There's obviously yeah I want to make I want you happy because that's good for me as a business, but it's it's weird to, for those incentives to be mismatched. Whereas with this platform and this approach, it's like my incentive is so that I have 365 days from when you sign up to make you as delighted as possible. And so the more things that I can do to make the service richer and more fully featured and more um, useful to you, that's you know, uh, th- th- all I'm doing is, bu- is hopefully you know, building up a, a bank of goodwill there that I can then, you know, when it comes next year to, to renew or you know you'll just be like, of course, yeah, it's, you know, it's part of my life and it's really useful. And so things like, you know, including the apps and those kinds of things just sort of make sense. You know, and then if people want, there's, you know, a full API for, for other people who are going to, you know, other people are going to make applications that are paid and they make their money sort of in the other side of things. And that's just good for everybody. But I want to make sure that there's a good core experience that um, you just get with it and that it'll hopefully just get better and better as I improve the apps or I put the apps on more platforms or, you know, do different types of apps with it. I'm going to talk about the API, and I also want to talk about the launch um, so to, to sort of see how that went for you overall. Uh, but before we do that, if you don't mind, David, I would like to talk about our sponsor for this week. Absolutely. So we are, of course, supported by the amazing Squarespace today. Squarespace... Squarespace.com, they give you absolutely everything that you need to make an amazing website. Squarespace is a fully hosted, completely managed environment for creating and maintaining a beautiful website blog or portfolio. It doesn't matter how experienced you are with building websites. You can put something online that looks incredible in minutes and you don't have to have any of the worries about finding a designer, worrying about hosting. What if your site gets really popular? How are you going to scale it? Let's say you want to integrate your tweets into your page or have it automatically post to Facebook or something. You don't have to worry about any of these difficult parts because Squarespace have a system, have a package that can take care of all of it for you. They have beautiful themes. They're really clean. They all feature responsive web design. When you add images or design pages with the new Squarespace, your entire site restructures automatically to fit and look fantastic on every device, maintaining the beauty of the site that you have created. They have a fantastic page building system called Layout Engine. It's completely drag and drop and it allows you to add types of content that you want and you can lay them out exactly however you like on the page. Squarespace sites, they never go down and it doesn't matter who's linking to you. It's it's just fantastic. I've never had any issues with no matter how much traffic any of my Squarespace sites have gotten um, because they just stay up. They have Squarespace Commerce that allows you to add a fully integrated store into your Squarespace site. You can instantly start accepting payments and they've partnered with Stripe and you can sell physical or digital goods immediately with any Squarespace site. They have inventory management, order processing and much, much more. I want you to go and try out this for yourself. They have a blog importer, 24-7 customer support, loads more. 
I can give you a free trial. Go to squarespace.com slash 70 decibels. That's 70-D-E-C-I-B-E-L-S. Squarespace plans start at $10 a month for their standard plan and $20 a month for their unlimited plan. You will get 20% off if you sign up front for a year and 25 if you sign up for two. Just go to that URL, squarespace.com slash 70 decibels. Try it out. I know that you're going to love it. And it also helps support the show. If you enjoy Command Space, go there. And also, if you decide to sign up, use the code 70 decibels 6 70-D-E-C-I-B-E-L-S-6, and you will get 10% off your first order. So go check out Squarespace, everything you need to make an amazing website. So FeedRangler launched. Um, how was that 24 hours for you? That was That was a little intense. Um, anytime you launch something, I think you are, you have some you have the, the, there's the, the the game you play with yourself for how how great you know how successful it's going to be, how big it's going to be, and you kind of you, there's yeah there you have the feeling of what you hope for I guess, and then the you know oh well, it's probably you know maybe you know, maybe maybe a handful of my best friends will will look at it or, and Feed Wrangler definitely took off more than I was expecting. I think a, a lot of people you know had pr- pretty good reviews about it and it just kind of went crazy. And then of course this you know be being a uh, an infrastructure-based thing was then. I then spent the next you know week just sitting there, babysitting servers, putting out fires, trying to make sure everything could scale up with, you know, this massive influx of people. And no matter how much I think you prepare for that, and how much you think, oh no, you know, it'll work fine with this, this, and this, until all of a sudden you have so many people working on you, know, actually using it in, uh, on a production basis. Then you're like, okay, that doesn't work. That doesn't work. That doesn't work. You know, let's go. And I think. You know that first week, my I don't think my wife or kids saw me nearly as much as they uh, they're they're used to, but you know, think thankfully things have settled down now, and it just kind of is is you know is is running in, in more of a steady, a steady state than that that, that crazy first couple of days. <laughs> so you recently posted about your first month, yeah, um, and I, I just wonder like. When you know, saying about the the late nights and stuff, was it a case of like everything breaking everywhere, like servers exploding and and that sort of stuff? Um, a little bit of that. I mean, I think that the the hardest part for the the, hard, the hardest part with launching something like this, I think, is is it, it is identifying all of the the tiny little things that add up to um to, you know that, that add up to to big problems for your users. And and typically, it's you know it's these little things where you almost you discover that. People add feeds like the, some of the feeds that people have added are just kind of wild to me. Like they have, I think the biggest feed I've seen has ten thousand has ten thousand articles in it, um, just for, you know in a single or in, in one single RSS feed. So the actual download that you know the, the my my importer has to process, you know, is you know the meg, many megabytes big and has to work through it and all these things that I've just never would have even occurred to me that people could have had. And so then it's just kind of. Um, thankfully, I, I built the system in such a way that it, it, it's easy. It's relative. It was relatively easy to scale up to do that in terms of it. Just I just kept provisioning and adding more machines and more machines and um, kind of expanding it out that way. But um, it was just kind of a crazy thing. And then it's just making sure that nothing else breaks and keeping up with the support and and all that. And it was just kind of a, a wild time. I can only imagine. Like I, I, I can. I mean, I, I've I've launched stuff in the past, you know, launch new shows or, or whatever, and it's always exciting. But nothing really breaks, you know? Yeah. It's not really the scope of something to break because uh, I don't build these things myself. So I can't I can't even imagine what that must be like to be like, you know, people I'm sure like saying, oh, David, it's broken. David, yeah. David, it's it, broken. You're like, it, I know. <laughs> I know. The, 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 the worst part is, yeah, the, the worst part is dealing on the sort of the customer side of that. Where I mean, and generally I'd say I'd very, very understandable people in terms of they understand that, you know, it's it's a new product. It's getting itself, you know, it's, it's finding its legs and kind of settling down. And so most people were pretty, were kind of more like, you know, you, you're probably well aware of this, but I, I just wanted to let you know, it, it's broken right now. I'm like, yep, I know. Thanks, I appreciate that. Um, you know, I'm, I'm working on it. I'm working on it. And it was just, you know, you could just kind of work through it. And it's definitely one of those things that I can't even imagine though how some of the free services handle that first day. You know, in terms of where, for me, at least the benefit I have is that everybody who's using the service had, you know, had had given me money, and so that rules out a lot of people who would only want to sub, you know, subscribe for a free service. But I can only imagine if you're one of these VC-backed companies launching a product who's trying to, you know, get as many users as possible, and in the first day, you know, you have a hundred thousand new users or something. I mean, the teams of people that you must have to 
to handle that just kind of boggles my mind. You know, it's it's hard enough with you know a, rel- a, m- a much more modest user base, but um, you know, the th- the thankfully it's the kind of thing you just kind of learn from. You know, and make make the service better, and then all the little fixes and improvements you can do just over time mean that now you know everything just kind of runs like it is, and I can you know, sleep at night and and not worry it or you know be worried that in the middle of you know having dinner with my wife, which I think once happened. My phone goes off. Something was broken. You know, pick up my phone, SSH into a machine, fix fix something, and then you know, go back to dinner. So, always glad on. that's done. Always on development. Yes, well, it's it's the blessing and the curse of being just a you know a one man shop that I'm the I'm the only one who can fix it for the most part. So there's a little bit of a of you know if I had a larger team, I suppose it'd be a little easier. You know, take it in shifts or have people with different responsibilities. But it's also kind of fun because you know. It's it, this is what I like to do. So, how has maintenance and sort of further development been since the launch? Things calmed down in that area. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that side of things is is gotten a lot better. I mean, it was it was very gratifying. Yeah, I think it was yesterday or two days ago. Uh, it was announced that a couple of big third party clients are going to support um, Feed Wrangler as, the, as uh, on their back end. And so there was a, as a massive rush again of sort of another wave of, of people coming into the platform who heard about it from that and were interested in getting on board. And it, it, it kind of had this funny feeling where I wanted to see how long I could go without having to fix something, how long it could go with, you know, sort of set up like it is and just running. And kind of, I, it kept, as the day went on, I didn't have to change anything. I didn't have to fix anything. I didn't have to fix anything. And it got to the end of the day, and I was like, "Okay, well, I guess it's, I guess it works now. I guess I don't have to worry quite as much um, if it can handle in a, you know, a nice big wave of users without, uh, without sort of skipping a beat." So, in that sense, it's been great because now I can kind of turn my attention back onto features and onto making the platform better rather than just sort of keeping it going and maintaining it and keeping, you know, sort of putting out fires from here from on all sides. You've uh, you've actually touched on what I wanted to talk about next, which was sort of the API and third parties and stuff. Um, so for me, I mean, and I guess this is probably the same with a lot of nerds, um, I want my RSS to be everywhere. Um, like on, on every device that I use, I want to be able to get access to it, whether it's on the web. Um, iPhone, for me, I use Android too. Um, you know, I kind of want my RSS to be all over the place. And you have an API um, that you have mentioned that's, that yeah. some people will be able to integrate or will be able to build full, fully-fledged third-party apps. And does that plug the gaps for you? Yeah. I, I mean, I think what it allows, and it's probably one of the best parts of having this kind of a business model where I'm not selling the apps, is that I'm not competitive with them in terms of it's not this kind of weird state where um, you know we're comp- competing directly. Like, if people want to make an app that... Uses my you know, uses my backend to support it. You know the user of that has already paid me, and so I'm as as like essentially the last month my focus has been on supporting third party developers, getting them you know getting them all geared up, tweaking the API, making it do exactly what they want. And as a result, I think I have um, apps launching on at least five or five different platforms. I think that I'm aware of right now, um, and. It'll allow, I think, a lot of you know. It's like every every user has their slightly different favorites. They're even even if it's just because it's what they've been using, um, but they can kind of go and use it there. Or if it's a different platform, something that's like you know an Android client that I'm not necessarily going to be developing right away. There's an Android client that's going to be launching soon that someone else is going to be integrating for you know for me. So that takes a lot of the burden off of me and gives me a good answer. If they're like, oh, is there going to be an Android client? Rather than saying maybe some point down the road, I can just be like, yep, here it is. You, you know, it's a great app built by some smart people, um, and you can just go and download it. So I know one of the apps um, is an app called Press. Yes. Which, um, in my opinion, is the best. It's the best RSS reader on any platform. Um, it looks incredible, and it works really, really well. And, and I was very happy to see that they're going to be integrating um, with with Feed Wrangler, you know, as, as with many of these services, along with a couple of others. But Oh, sure. But I'm I'm pleased that because what I what I'm looking for really is, I mean I have as you, you kind of said this as well I have apps um, that I use and have been using for a while so like Press and Reader like R W E D E R and ideally what I want is a like a a backend a new backend yeah which and I guess that's the kind of the two parts of your business right exactly 
So you, you you need to. I think if anybody is just looking to build an application, it's they're maybe not doing it right, because it's more like it's good to have the apps, um, but I think most of us are kind of just looking for a Google Reader replacement, not a whole new system. Yeah, and, and I think a lot of what I, the approach that I'm that I wanted to take was to say that I I wanted to create something that could just be a, as you know, for for most people, just a drop-in replacement. That if you know, once all the once all the apps are updated to support the backend, it you know, it just they migrate migrate over. Nothing changes as far as they're concerned. And then for people who are coming fresh to RSS or are looking for something different, it's great. You know, it's like I can pr- provide a, a, a suite of first first party things that sort of help help them understand how RSS works, how an app kind of what what you can do with it, and then from there. Hopefully, and what I, what I seems to be happening is you know they'll explore out and be able to look at it and it's like oh well you know how does how does Reader work how does Mister Reader work what is Press like like they can pl- try with other try other apps and try other things to see which one's a better fit because no matter how well designed or you know well built the app I built it built is there's always going to be something about it that some you know that from a taste or a preference or aesthetics or those types of things that are just going to someone's going to find a better fit potentially somewhere else. Which is, I mean, I think that it's good. Like, I mean, are there? Any, we kind of mentioned the apps. Are there any others that you wanted to like highlight? I guess those are the ones that I think I can talk about publicly. There's, there's a lot that I've been developers I've been working back and forth with on a lot of different platforms. But I think those are the only those are the only ones that um, have announced themselves publicly. And so I'll you know sort of wait until they um, all the developers are ready to say what they're going to be uh, supporting it. But it's sure. I think. There's probably something on the realm of about a dozen apps that I've been working with the developers of, um, to, you know, in various platforms and in various ways to, um, you know, to add support. And it seems like most people are, well, most of these updates are probably going to be launching in the next couple of weeks as these apps sort of get ready for the, I guess, the Google Reader funeral on July first. I'm um, I'm just I'm really pleased that, you, that you're going to be in on a bunch of different platforms. I think that's good. I think it's really good for the service. So we have about a month now. We're in, we're in the, the, the final furlong um, yeah. until Reader shuts down. Are you prepared? Like, it, it, you know, are you, are you ready for the influx that you'll likely receive? Like, I mean, I guess you had the launch one, but I would assume that there'll be a bunch of people. I'm sure it's going to ramp up, but like those last couple of days, I would assume that you're expecting to get a, a, a chunk of new users. Hopefully. Uh, I mean, we'll, we'll, I'm definitely a lot better prepared for it than I was before the launch. And I think the advantage of kind of this role, this, this part of why I wanted to get it out as early as I could, and so I, I can be as ready as possible. That I've, I think I've, you know, for the most part, I've, you know, th- things are working, things are humming along. All the servers have a lot of headroom. All the infrastructure is kind of at, at a point now that I think it could handle probably um, five, if not ten times the users that it has right now. And so... That works out great for me. I can in terms of getting ready, and then you know, come whatever July second, I can look at it and see exactly how things sort of sh- you know sort of are shaking out, and kind of what the the user base is at that point, and kind of tune from there. But at least I, I feel much better about it now than if I was launching my if I was launching the service on whatever uh, June June twenty ninth, I'd be pretty nervous. Um, but I feel pretty good having gone through a couple of waves of of launch, and then you know, new user signups and things that it's feeling. It's feeling things are things are feeling stable, which helps me sleep at night. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that it's uh, a nerve wracking time, um, but exciting, I guess, as well. Yeah. So uh, there was one thing on your page that that, that piqued my interest um, that you're looking at building a podcast client with Feed Wrangler. Yes. So I guess this is because it's RSS, right? Basically, yeah. I mean, it was one of these things. I've, I've actually I built an RSS, uh, a, pod, a podcast uh, client a couple of years ago. Never really took off, but so I have a lot of ex- experience in the sort of the audio processing and the podcasting kind of realm. And the funny thing is, as I was going along building the Feed Wrangler backend, all of a sudden I realized I was essentially building everything you'd need to build a podcast backend. That except for keeping track of your playback position. Kind of basic bookmarking and those kinds of things. Other than that, it was basically everything was the same. You just there just happens to be audio files attached to the articles um, in, the, in the feeds, and so I was like, that that's great. So one of the things I expect to do, be working on this summer, is to take, you know, sort of to take the the backend that I have, put a pod, put a podcatcher in front of it, um, and then also open up that API if any other podcatchers want to 
you know, use it in terms of for sync, and it just creates a much better experience. I mean, I don't know. I, you probably, you probably, my guess is you listen to a lot of podcasts. I listen to podcasts constantly, and the thing that always drives me crazy is the time it takes to sync, um, because it has to go and download all your all your different feeds, all your different shows, and you know, CC what's new rather than the you know my server is going off and doing that all the time, and so it can immediately you know sync is becomes essentially instantaneous because it just says, "Yep, oh, here you know you, here's here's all the new stuff." Um, yeah. So there's a there's a there's a trade-off that I'd be interested to see how how you you implement this. But like for example, Pocket Casts, um, they they boast that they do their sync on their servers, yeah. Um, where Instacast does the sync, it pulls the feeds. So Instacast takes longer than Pocket Casts. But when I, what I see is the main difference is Podcast is released. Pocket Casts will take an indeterminate amount of time for it to show up. Sure. So you know you'll see Command Space Forty Six is available. And you have to just wait now for like a, an amount of time that you don't know if you really want to listen soon. So I'd be interested to see how you deal with that. Yeah, and it's definitely a tricky problem. And I mean, the the, the refresh interval that is always is, is probably one of the the hardest problems to solve with you know the actual backend stuff. And I think at this point, it's just a question of I've I just keep optimizing and and improving the performance that I can keep squeezing that time down to a point that I think right now an average. An average uh, update interval is about fifteen minutes or so, mm-hmm. um, which is for most people will be fast enough. That for most, you know, for most, for most people, the from the time that something's released to when it, it shows up being fifteen minutes is usually not too bad. Um, but yeah, there's definitely some things that I may need to do um, in the app in terms of to help, help tell the app, hey, someone like all these people keep trying to you know pull to refresh on this particular show. Maybe we should go and make sure we grab it right now. See, that um, and those kinds of things, and so that's I think where I'll be having to head just to to combat that kind of feel. Yeah, because you know, I think you you have someone like Merlin Syracuse on a show, right? They're yeah. a guest. There'll there'll be like a more than usual quick refresh for that. I think. Yeah. So that could be inter- that's an interesting way of dealing with it to sort of be like something weird's happening. Let's let's fix this. Yeah, or even just in general to take it's like I mean I don't think a lot of what it's like. Without getting too technical, but it's like I think from when I think about it, if you there's a difference between asking for what's new across all my feeds and what's new for this particular show, if I'm looking at it specifically, and so I think I'll structure the back end so that when you are looking at just a particular show, like I want to get the last, most you know the latest command space, it'll update much more quickly than if you're just saying, hey, what's new? I'm about to get in the car to drive to work. Um, you know what what shows are available. I love this. I'm I'm just getting the feature I want, like on the air with you now. There you go. <laughs> That's how you do it, kids. Just get David on your show. So let's talk about your other projects. Like you, sure. you have like a small portfolio of apps. Um, I guess check the weather is probably your next most popular or most popular. Um, it's it's probably my next best uh, known app. Um, the most popular app I think I've ever built is called Audiobooks, um, yeah. which has just its its popularity is largely just based on it's been around for. I think three and a half years, something like that, and so, um, but yeah, I mean, it's. I think early on, what I, my the approach I took and the only one that kind of seemed to work was to I've built probably, I don't know, forty, fifty different apps um, for the App Store over, over over the couple of years that I've been over the several years that I've been doing this, and so I just kind of keep keep trying different ideas, different concepts until things stick, and kind of at, at that point, I've ended up with kind of a small like I have a larger portfolio of ideas. And things in the store that don't do any business, and then I got a couple that are kind of my my bread and butter that sustain just you know sustain my business and keep it going. So check the weather. You update a lot. Yes, you, you're always adding new features and and refinements and improvements. And I wonder how with your other services and your other applications, how are you able to decide what to work on and when? Like, how do you decide I'm going to Devote more time to X now, even when you have multiple concurrent developing projects. Um, that is certainly a, a difficulty of the approach that I have of having a lot, a, a, a sort of a stable of different things that I'm working on. But I think that when I find that works well for just, I guess maybe it's my temperament is that I, I tend to get sort of boards. Boards probably the, the the wrong word, but it's in that kind of vein where if I've been working on the same thing for too long. I'll kind of get itchy and be like, yeah, I want to work on something else. I want to try something new. I want to do something else. And so that kind of creates this natural sort of tempo where I'll work on something for a little while and then I'll switch gears and work on something else. 
and kind of once I get just once that sort of gets to the next update or whatever it is, I'll switch to the next thing, and that kind of creates a nice variety um, that I think I need just sort of based on the kind of my personality. Versus if I was working on the exact just one product every day for you know for a couple of years, I think I'd go a little nuts. Uh, and so for me, it's, it creates this nice little built-in context switching that I can do. And I can be like, okay, I'll work on this for a little while. I'll work on this for a little while. And for a lot of them, it's just when when I do those switching and what's the next priority. It just kind of gets based on what's going on. You know, is there, you know, next week, Apple announces new iOS seven features. All of a sudden, that dictates a little bit of my schedule and a little bit of what I need to do. If, for example, something that they add all of a sudden makes a lot of sense in one of my apps. Then you know, it sort of it bubbles itself up to the the surface. Otherwise, you know, things, some, of the, some of the apps will go, you know, go a couple of months without an update just because there's nothing pressing or new or interesting that, that, I, that I feel like I can do to it. And you just kind of, I guess I've been doing it for long enough that it kind of just works itself out. And you also have a podcast. Yes. Developing Perspective. Tell us a little bit about that too. Sure. It was a, it's, it's a, it, it's a, it's, it's, it's most notable characteristic a lot for a lot of people is that it's only 15 minutes and it's, Sort of, tip, it's really never longer than that unless I'm doing an interview show, um, and it's just a show that I started. It's coming up on two years ago. I think I just recorded episode uh, 127 or something like that. Yep, and so great. it's it's just a show I do where I got started. For, I got started because I I started a blog and I started trying to write onto that. And I do still sometimes do writing, but I found it was really difficult just for me to get out what I was trying to communicate um, in the written word in a way that I can I'm feel much more comfortable speaking. And so I just started, oh, well, let's try a podcast. Let's see what happens. And um, at the time, I was listening to back, uh, was an episode of Back to Work with Merlin Mann. He was talking about an advice he gave to sort of budding writers, was he said, like, you have to, the best thing to do if you want to, if you, if you have in your mind, oh, I wish one day maybe I'll, you know, do this thing. It's like, what you, what you need to do is you need to sit down and do it every day for a month. And if, if at the end of that month you're still doing it, then you're probably, you know, you're able to, it's like, this is something that you want to pursue. If you try doing that and it just doesn't stick, then, you know, in some ways it's like, that's probably not for you. That's probably not, it's probably, you like the, the dream and the idea of that rather than the actual, sort of the, the actual implementation and what that actually looks like on a day-to-day basis. And so that's what I did. The first couple of episodes, the first, I think, about 25 episodes or 20 episodes or so was just, you know, every weekday, that's what I did. I sat down and I did an, did an episode. And then after that, it kind of, it stuck. And I've been doing it ever since. And um, it's just a, it's it's more just a show where I talk about mostly it's development related, but um, you know, sort of news of note and iOS, Apple, and the like. I think is my catchphrase. So, mm-hmm. it's just that kind of stuff where I just talk about what it's like to be an independent iOS developer, what it's like to, to you know to, to build apps or to to make your living in this kind of ecosystem. Recording a show on your own is a very difficult thing, so I applaud you for being able to do that. Yeah, it's 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 interesting, and I've because I've done some shows with uh, you know interview shows or talk or, you know be, like what we're doing right here where I'm guest on someone else's, and the, the the main reason that the show is 15 minutes long um, is because it's a one man show, and I, anything longer than that I find is so hard to stay engaging and interesting as a listener and as a speaker to to kind of keep it going without having someone to bounce off of and to have have someone else that you can kind of feed on back and forth. And then it has a natu- then the nice benefit that for a lot of people, you know, it, it's nice to have a, f- a, sh- a short, focused show that they know they can always squeeze in. Um, if you listen to it at you know two x or whatever, it'll be a seven and a half minute show. Um, and so, <laughs> it's a a nice. It worked out well for me in that way, and it's just kind of it's it's definitely tricky doing a one man show, but I find that it works well to be able to just I I never have an excuse to not do it. There's never a scheduling conflict. There's never anything. It's just like if you want to do the show, you just you need to sit down with your microphone and do it. That's exactly it. And as well, like for me, what I've seen sort of in the past is the shows that don't succeed um, or that don't continue are the ones that aren't on a regular schedule. It's very yeah. important to get on that schedule. Yeah, at least especially up front. I mean, it's, I think the, the, hardest part of, the hardest part of starting something is that, the, I mean, you know, it's, it's like that, that fear of putting out something bad. Which is one of those funny things where, at least in my experience, by having a, a, a strict, a sort of a, a regular schedule, where you know you do a show every week or you do a show every day or whatever works for you, by doing that and by stacking that up, you create this expectation on yourself that you're going to put you put something together and put it out, and it eliminates some of that fear because you have to put out what it's like you have to come up with something. And you know there are days that I'll sit down and I'll record three shows and only publish the third, but typically it just means that I'm 
keeping that practice up and keeping working on it and getting better and better. And I find that there's the, the pleasant surprise that more often than not, the shows that I put out that I thought weren't my best are ones that I get some of the best res- the best responses for. And so it's kind of like I'm not necessarily the best gauge of the you know sort of the quality of what I'm doing. Um, you know, my audience is, and so it's kind of nice to just have be, be able to, to that discipline of p- always putting it out there really helps kind of develop that going forward. So very quickly before we wrap up, we have WWDC next week. Yes. Are there any sort of very top level, like big things that you're hoping for from iOS um, 7? I mean, there's always things that, that, that I mean, I mean it's, it's an exciting time. I've been going to WWDC for, I think since 2009, I think was my first one. Um, and it's, you know, it's, 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 it's always an exciting time because it's Apple's off chance to kind of, kind of come out and be like, here's, here's our vision for the next year. Which, as someone who makes their living in this, this you know, it's it's, the, it's sort of it's. I feel like sitting, waiting in line in the keynote. You go in, you sit down, you kind of feel like you're a kid on Christmas morning. Like, what's going to come? Like, you know, I don't know what's wrapped up in these presents. Like, what's going to sort of what's going to change? What's you know, how can we? What, what apps am I going to be building in the next year? And so, I mean, for me, it's like exactly what that is. Is you know, sort of there's all the. It isn't quite as significant as the fact that it's always just an exciting time. It'll be interesting to see what happens. You know, it's kind of I'm an Apple geek, and this is you know, this is the best time of year to to see what's going to be happening. I mean, there's always the little things that you want to hear and you want to see. Like I, you know, it's I'd like to you know better app intercommunication is always a classic thing, or some things on the technical side. You know, some of the low level stuff as a programmer that'd be nice. Um, but mostly, I'm just excited to see what gonna, what's going to come. Indeed. So, Mr. Smith, please tell people where they can find you, where they can keep in touch with you, where they can follow what you're up to. Uh, sure. So I'm on Twitter. I'm underscore David Smith. Uh, that's where the underscore comes from. On AppNet, I'm just David Smith. Uh, developing Perspective is developingperspective.com. My blog is david-smith.org. Um, and that's where you can find me. And the links to all my apps and things are on david-smith.org. And Feeder Angler, I guess, is feederangler.net. But um, yeah, that's where you can get me. All of the links to those, uh, to all the things we've discussed today will, of course, be in the show notes, which you can find at 5x5.tv forward slash cmdspace slash 46. And uh, I will be back next week. I've got a pre-recorded episode for you that well, I, I will be recording this week and releasing next week. Um, it's with a very cool guest. I think you're going to, to enjoy that show very much. And uh, I will be back. So I will be back with you next week with a new show. And uh, thank you very much to Mr. Smith for joining me. It was my pleasure. Thank you. Thanks, man. It was a, it was great to talk to you, and thank you all for listening. Um, I am I Mike I M Y K E on Twitter and App.net. If you want to follow along with me, please feel free to do so. Thank you very much for listening to this week's episode of Command Space. Until next time, bye bye.